Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. John 16, verse 16. A little while and you will not see me again. Not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Because I go to the Father. Acts 2, verse 25. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Thank you, Ati. The atmosphere of the presence of God is the most wonderful atmosphere there is. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, one more time, I ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross to be applied by the Holy Spirit to every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to convey all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Enable me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I pray that this will be a word that changes lives, that changes prayer lives. And that this word brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Colin. I, I'm honored to, to be back. Uh, I think when I was here last, uh, early July, it was kind of like saying goodbye. I don't think I fully absorbed that I was going to get to come back again halfway between uh, the times. Uh, uh, it was an invitation I couldn't refuse, and it's been a wonderful week, and uh, I love coming here. I guess you know that by now. Uh, Louise couldn't come for when it's just a week like this, too much uh, for her, but she'll be back with us the first uh, week of February, and TR has been able to be with me uh, all week. Great to be with you. And uh, I pray that uh, what I say today will be a blessing to you. Now, I want to talk to you about the presence of God. I've, I've labored a lot over what to preach today because the truth is I thought uh, I would preach on the subject, which will be the book I am now writing. It won't come out for another year, but I'm so gripped by the title I couldn't wait to preach it, but I haven't. I have not preached it anywhere. Uh, it will be called Popular in Heaven, Famous in Hell. <laughs> I can't wait to preach it. But the more I worked on it, I thought, this is not for you today. Actually, the last book I wrote, which I think you all have, a bunch of you have already got it, on the presence of God. Now, there are basically two ways of understanding the presence of God. There's the conscious presence of God, 
And that is what we all want. There is nothing like it on this earth when you feel his presence. It is indescribable. Words don't come close. The peace that you have, the sense how real he is. He has a way of manifesting his presence in such a way that you're tempted to say in that moment, after this, I will never doubt God again. I mean, that's how real he can make himself. Uh, I don't know that you even know this story. But a few years ago, Colin shared something with me. Uh, and if I remember it right, Colin, tell me if I've got it wrong. Come up here and tell me if I got it wrong. You were in Brazil in your hotel room. And you said as you walked from one room to the other in what would have been maybe a second or so, presence of God came on you in just that moment, brief though it was, your words to me, to have that moment, I would have endured anything, anything for that moment. And he recounted things that he'd gone through. Um, many of you will know about your daughter Laura, who was born uh, handicapped and never walked or talked and was always in nappies until she died as a teenager. And one of the greatest honors of my life is to get to preach a funeral. But the point is, Colin said, that sense of God just lasted a second. He said, I would have endured anything for that. And when you consider how God can do that, you wonder what will heaven be like when we'll have his presence throughout eternity. All right, that's the conscious presence of God. But how much do you know about the unconscious presence of God, uh, which I think we all tend to underestimate? Now, one difference between the conscious presence of God and the unconscious presence of God is this. The conscious presence of God is when He is pleasing us. But the unconscious presence of God is an invitation for you to please Him. Now, here's my question to you. I wonder if you've ever had a question like this put to you before. Which gives you more satisfaction? When he pleases you or when you have an opportunity to please him? Now, the presence of God, when he chooses to manifest his glory, uh, that's when he's pleasing us. And, of course, that's what we all love. We have for a generation been in what is called, even the world calls it, the me generation. I would urge you, as a result of my sermon today, to come to get your satisfaction from pleasing Him. And that happens when you feel nothing. And you believe him anyway. 
You see, here's what Hebrews 11 verse 6 says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, what makes faith faith is that you believe without the evidence. Now, there are two world views of faith. One is the secular atheist view. You believe it if you see it. Now, that's the, that's the atheist. If you can touch, smell, hear, and so forth, taste, then, yes, you can believe it. You believe it when you see it. There's only one problem with that. That isn't faith. It's not faith then. What makes faith faith is that you don't see, you don't taste, you don't touch, you don't. It's just by the word. And of course, the atheist says, well, that's dumb. That's crazy. Who would, who would ever want to believe that? But you see, that's the biblical view. The worldview of faith, if you are a Christian, you believe it because God says it. If you're an atheist, you believe it if you can see it. This is what happened at the cross. The chief priest, the soldiers said, Son of God, here he is hanging on the cross. Son of God, come down from the cross so we can see and believe. You see, that's the ordo salutis, if I may put it that way, of the atheists. If they see it, they can believe it. But the problem is, it's not faith then. It's only faith when you don't see it and you still believe it. Now, here's what I want to say to you. You will not always have the privilege of faith. Has that ever dawned on you? Did you know you won't need faith in heaven? There'll be no faith in heaven. You'll see everything. There's a great hymn um, um, that uh, we often sing, It is well with my soul when peace like a river uh, uh, comes my way. There's a line in there, when faith is turned to sight, and we all wait for that to happen. But you need to know, when that happens, from that moment on, throughout eternity, no faith. It'll all be sight. You will see. Right now is a privilege you will not have again. And that is the opportunity to please God by trusting him, though you feel nothing. Now, this is what the psalmist meant. In Psalm 16, verse 8, this is David. I have set the Lord always before me. In the first service, I shared with the people something that I don't think I've shared before. Uh, maybe I have, and I've forgotten. But I, I will tell you this. This is something that is very, very personal to me. I'm taking you right in to my inner life. I'm taking you right into my personal devotional life. This is something I do. I do it every day and sometimes several times a day. It's simply this. David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Now, what does he mean? Well, he said, he is at my right hand. Well, why would he need to set the Lord? 
It's something you do by faith. If I may put it this way, picture him there. Picture Jesus right there, about two feet away. By your doing that, that doesn't make him show up two feet away. He's already there. That's the point. You're not making him show up. He's been there for years, right by you. He is at my right hand. That's what David said. Why do you set him before you? That is by faith. You affirm what is true. And so when I do that, I just start talking to him. And usually the first thing I say, I don't know what you're going to make of this, but I say, Jesus, I love you. And you need to know there are times I don't feel like doing that. About 10 days ago, I'll never forget it, I woke up feeling horrible. just didn't sleep much, and I didn't feel like reading my Bible. I had a lot of work I needed to do that day. I thought, this is going to be a dead loss. And I just didn't feel like turning to my right. And this is the way I do it. I just kind of, but I thought, you know, do I believe what I preach or not? I tell people to do this. I'm going to do it. And he already knew my thoughts. He knows everything. But I just turned to him. And I sure didn't feel like it. And I said, I love you. And I just started talking to him. Do you know something happened? It was so wonderful. I began to get energy and strength. And I began to get thoughts. I got out my computer. I turned to Louise. I said, I'm having a moment. Don't bother me now for a couple hours. Because <laughs> I began to get thoughts. I couldn't write them down. Type, couldn't type them fast enough. Sometimes God does that, and he doesn't always do it. And then as it turns out, even this very morning it was like that. I've got a bad cold. I got it over the last 24 hours. Don't know why, but I could hardly sleep. In the middle of the night, I get up and gargle with salt water. And that's not fun at any time, but especially in the middle of the night. And uh, for your information... I brought this with me. This is called Sinu Orega. And I squirted up my nose when I think I'm going to cough. Just plan B is right here. <laughs> but this morning, I just felt so bad. And I need to feel good because I'm preaching twice today. And then we've got to get on, on a plane after a while and go back to Nashville. And, but I didn't feel like it. I just said, Lord, I love you. I just started talking to him. And is it long when you, if you stop and think about it, if a person's physically there, you don't have any trouble talking to them. By faith, I set him before me. And that is something I do. You don't have to do it, but you better think about it. It's the most wonderful thing. Here he is, two feet away. He's there anyway. Why don't you just talk to him? And you will develop an intimacy with him. And you do it when you feel nothing. Now, we're talking about the unconscious presence of God. Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah 45, verse 15. Truly, you are a God who hides yourself. 
O God of Israel, the Savior. What does that mean? Well, for reasons known only to him, I think I know part of the reason, but I don't know all the reasons, he just hides himself. He does. He just doesn't show up. And it can come at the most inopportune moment. Now, when he shows his face, that's what we all love, answer to prayer, good news from home, check in the mail, good news about an examination, friend comes, you get an invitation, you want to be with people, and they affirm you. And you just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I love you today. I love you. But then what about those times when what you felt yesterday is nothing like that now? You, don't, you feel nothing. What have I done? Lord, have I, I've grieved you. I'm, I'm sorry. Where are you? Where are you? And the truth is, he is there. He wants to see what you are going to do when he decides not to show up. Now, here's the problem with this hiding of face. Here's the problem. God does not give you advanced notice that he's going to do it. It would be so nice, so nice uh, if, if he said, uh, Chris, uh, next Thursday morning, about half past 11, remember, Chris, next Thursday, half past 11, I'm going to withdraw the light of my conscience, uh, 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 light of my countenance, I meant to say, countenance. You're going to feel nothing. Remember, next Thursday, half past 11, if only he would do that. Then you could be ready for it. You say, well, I was expecting this. He doesn't do that. You can be on a roll. You've, you're getting answers to prayer right, left, and center. You're getting good news. You get a rise in pay. You've got a new friend. Everything. The wind is at your back. And all of a sudden, bam. Gone. You think, Lord, whatever happened? What is going on? Why? Why would you do this? And that's why Isaiah said, truly, you are a God who hides yourself. This is one of his ways. Now, you may not like his ways. That's what he is. Why does he do it? Well, I think I know part of the reason. It's testing you. To see what you will be like when things aren't good. Let me ask for a show of hands. Is there anybody here that you have just said to the Lord, I love you. I rededicate my life to you. I will never turn back. I'm yours forever. Anybody ever do that? Here's the hand. Is that all? I thought all of it you raised your hands. You must be Baptist. I thought, I thought you were Pentecostals. Well, we've all done this, haven't we? We still say, Lord, I will never desert you. And in heaven, God says, really? And so he wants to know if you mean it. 
And the way he tests it is without any notice, no notice, whatever, he just withdraws the light of his countenance and it seems like all hell breaks loose. And the same God who was so real, he's just not there. It's something he does. One of my favorite Arthur Blessed stories. He was carrying the cross in northern Israel. Usually Arthur would plan for the evening, have a place to put his cross and sleep for the night. But for some reason he didn't make arrangements and it was now getting dark. And he had no place to go. And he came to a bus stop and there was a, it was a bench, but nothing over the bench. But it was all right. So Arthur lay down next to his cross and starts to sleep, except that it starts raining. And it rains, and it gets harder. And Arthur just sat up and said to the rain, in the name of Jesus, stop. What do you think happened? It stopped? How many say it stopped? How many say it didn't stop? You know what? It poured. <laughs> Lightning, thunder. Arthur lay back down and the water beat in his face. And he said, God, I love you. <laughs> you see, it's such a thrill to get to do that. I will be honest with you. Of course, there's nothing like the conscious presence of God. There's nothing like it. But I have learned in my old age to get much, much satisfaction in just knowing I please him when I feel nothing. It's like a 90-year-old lady who used to say to my mother when she's a little girl these words, I've been a Christian for so long now that I can hardly tell the difference between a blessing and a trial. The privilege of pleasing him. To do something, you know, that he likes it. When you feel nothing and you say, Lord, I love you anyway. I'm with you. He likes that. And that's what the psalmist was doing. I have set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I'm affirming what is true. And I would challenge you to develop that kind of an intimate relationship with him. You see, this is what we mean by faith. That's what faith is. And I will say it again, you will not always have the privilege of faith. It'll be over one day. And oh, by the way, if there's anyone here today, probably there is. A secularist, atheist, and your view is, I will believe it when I see it. I would say to you, sir, or madam, you're going to get your wish. Oh, will you ever. You will see. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. It's almost a sum total of the book of Revelation in one verse. John said of Jesus' second coming, Behold, he's coming with clouds. Every eye shall see him. They also which 
pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth, listen to this, shall wail, wail, W-A-I-L, wail before him. I ask you this question. I've asked it before. I don't do this every time I preach. But I just feel like asking you, have you ever heard anybody wail? You've heard them sob. You've heard them cry. But wail is reserved for when there is no hope. A friend of mine, Clive Calver's wife, you may know who Clive Calver is, maybe you don't, but they lived in Bethel, Connecticut. And four years ago when this madman uh, gunned down 26 children ages six, seven years old, that school was right next door to a fire station. And so when these kids were killed, the fire station, they took all the engines and made the fire station a place where parents could come and get news about their child. They wouldn't let them go into the school to see the bodies, but fire station, you go next door and go there and wait. And Ruth Calver, because she's the pastor of the church nearest to this school, was invited to go in and be with the parents. And so, she said sometimes it was good news. They would come in and say, uh, Mr. Jones, you're worried about Johnny. Here he is. He's fine. You can go home. Oh, Mrs. Smith, you're worried about Mary? Here's Mary. You can go home. She's fine. But then after about 45 minutes, and nobody was coming in, and Ruth said the sound that went up in that room, the wailing, they all knew they weren't going to see their children ever again. She said, I'll never forget the sound as long as I live. You only wail when there's no hope. He comes with clouds. You say you want to see it. You will see it. Every eye shall see him. Those which pierced him, all the kindreds of the earth, they're going to wail. Why? It's, it's over. You won't care about how you look then. Peer pressure, you know, we don't want to cry in front of people. You'll be all by yourself. Your soul is what you've got throughout eternity, the real you. Throughout eternity. You will wail. You won't think about anybody next to you. They're thinking of themselves. So you won't always have the privilege of faith because that's the day there's no more faith. You'll see it. And you'll wail. But now... The privilege of faith. And that's when you're tested. And things don't go right. And God hides his face. It's a high privilege. And what I'm saying, there will be no faith in heaven. There will be no praying in heaven. Are you aware of this? Uh, I remember several years ago, I made this statement, there'll be no praying in heaven. And a member of my congregation, her name is Judith Brigham. She's here today. I didn't know she's going to be here. She came up to me after the service 
And she said, I didn't realize that I won't get this intimacy with Jesus in heaven. I won't get to pray in heaven. I said, I'm afraid that's right. You do it now. You do it now. You see, there'll be praise in heaven. There'll be worship in heaven. But you're not going to, what are you going to pray for? Your lost loved ones? Everybody there is saved. And those that are not, it's too late for them. Nothing you need. You're not going to pray for things to happen. You pray now. There's a hymn. I don't hear it often over here. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. The last verse, not all the versions have it, but in the original, it says, while passing through the air on our way to glory, I say farewell to thee, sweet hour of prayer. You won't be doing it anymore. So I'm going to ask you a question. How much do you pray? How much do you pray? Children spell love, T-I-M-E. What if God spells love, T-I-M-E? How much do you pray? There'll be no praying in heaven. Well, now, I set the Lord before me. But what about these words of Jesus? Interesting statement. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Strange statement. And, and you know, the disciples, they got to each other. They said to one another, what does he mean by that? In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me because I go to my father. What does he mean? And then Jesus picks up on this, and he, he brings it up again. He says, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then in a little while you will see me? Well, see, here's what had happened. He told them that he's going to be leaving. They didn't like it. He says, not to worry, I'm going to send you another parakletos. The word parakletos uh, means one who comes alongside. We translate it comforter, helper, advocate. No good word translates parakletos. But the point is, Jesus had been that. He said, I'm going to send you another. Uh, they said, we don't want another. We want you. Well, I understand, says Jesus, but it's in your interest. And you're going to cry. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So that's the way it'll be with you. Well, they didn't get it. They didn't like it. They didn't know what it meant. Well, maybe it was that when he died on the cross, uh, they don't see him anymore. And then he's raised from the dead. They see him. Is that the meaning? Or could it be after he's raised from the dead, he shows up, and they see him, but then he disappears, and they don't see him. And then he comes back, they do, and then they don't see him. Is that the meaning? Or could it be after 40 days, Jesus ascends to heaven, to the right hand of God. They don't see him. Ah, but 10 days later... The Holy Spirit comes down on 120 people, and guess what when that happened? They got Jesus back. They wouldn't have believed it, but he was so real to them. He was so real to them so that when Peter, 
on the day of Pentecost quotes Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always. He changes it. He said, I saw the Lord always. A little while you won't see me, a little while you will. Peter saw him that day. He had Jesus back. And that is what it's like when God shows up, his presence, and he becomes so real. And you get him back, and that's what he will do. When God is so real, you wouldn't even ask him to come down from the throne. He's got his presence. He lifts you up to where he is. God can do that. And that is the meaning. A little while, you won't see me. A little while, you will. Oh, Peter saw him that day. And that is when the Holy Spirit came down. Now, I do need to tell you that there are many manifestations of God's presence. There's a healing presence. My friend Paul Cain said 40 years ago, he was in, in places where if there was a healing presence. Everybody there got healed. Everybody. Then the next day, maybe there won't be a healing presence. And sometimes it's a praise presence. There's a time when people just want to praise the Lord. Sometimes fear comes on the people. When Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead, great fear came on the people. So God can show up in more than one way. And we must be willing to accept the way he chooses to turn up. My friend Graham Lacey, who's here today, he suggested years ago that we have a prayer covenant at Westminster Chapel. It was wonderful. 300 people uh, promised to pray every day. And the petition was we pray for the manifestation of God's glory in our midst, along with an ever-increasing openness to the way God chooses to turn up. Well, as it turned out at Westminster Chapel, uh, he didn't turn up. I wanted that more than anything in the world. He turned up other places. And that was part of his glory, and we accepted that. And you see, when you sometimes feel nothing, God is at work even though you don't feel it. Twenty years ago, I was preaching in Bournemouth. And uh, those are the days of Easter people. Anybody remember Easter people? It was the Methodist thing. And, and they invited me on a Wednesday night in Bournemouth. And I went and preached. I think there were 2,000 people there. And I wanted to preach a good sermon. And uh, when I finished the sermon, uh, you know, I couldn't tell whether I'd done very well. I, I didn't feel the presence of God as I preached. Uh, no preacher likes that. There are times when you preach and you feel nothing. And yet you hope somebody afterwards will come up and say, oh, that was a good word. I'll tell you something you may not know, just between you and me. There's no preacher alive who doesn't want somebody right after he preaches to say, that was good. Billy Graham needs it. Martin Lloyd-Jones needed it. I know what I'm talking about. We, we just, did, did, did we do okay? It's, now, Jesus didn't have that problem. You know, after he finished the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't call Peter and John aside, hey, how did I do? <laughs> no, no, Jesus didn't need to do that. But I do. And that Wednesday night in Bournemouth, I finished, 
and people going their own ways. And I thought, isn't anybody going to say anything? And no one said, all I needed is to say just what we needed. There's something. Zero. Nil. I hung around for 10 minutes. This is embarrassing. I did. Waiting for somebody to say something. They never did. Everybody's gone. Get in the car. Turn on the ignition. Drive back to London. Two-hour drive. Did I do well? Oh, Lord, what say you? How did I do? Nothing. Hit his face. I thought he might just, you know, really, I thought he might say, I was, I was pleased with you. That's all. I, that would have done it for me. In fact, I'd rather have that than anything. He wasn't talking. Well, I got over it two or three days, but I never forgot that night. Five months ago, when I was back over here, I was preaching in Wembley at a church where there was a special service, and I was invited to be the preacher. It happened that T it was when T.R. was over here. He remembers it. After I finished that sermon, I'm walking out to the car, and a lady stops me. And she said, Dr. Kendall, I've been wanting to talk to you for years. I said, you got me. Here I am. She said, years ago, you preached a sermon for the Easter people in Wembley. She said, that was the years ago. You probably have forgotten it. I said, no, I have not forgotten that night. <laughs> she said, I just, I've been wanting to tell you, I was saved that night. You said, it just goes to show when you think nothing is happening. And that's the time when you don't feel things. You say, Lord, I love you anyway. I've set the Lord before me. And I just talk to him. And he's your friend. I'll close with this. Some of you were at the Luther Conference. Some of you weren't. But here's an account that you must never forget. Martin Luther, lonely man, had almost nobody with him because his discovery did not bless the people of Germany, generally, especially the hierarchy. And so he stood at Worms in Germany before the emperor and the cardinal. And left to the left was a table with all of his pamphlets. The 95 theses were there. His book, The Babylonian Captivity, was there. His, what he wrote about the Pope, all of it. They said, Dr. Luther, in the name of the church, will you deny what you've written? He said, could I have 24 hours to think about it? Granted. The next 24 hours, he goes to his cell that night. He writes out his prayer. That's how we know what happened. He writes his prayer out, oh my God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? My God, where are you? Are you dead? No, you can't die. You only hide yourself. He was trying to hold himself together. Now, I would have thought 
this would be the appropriate time for God to send a thousand angels into Martin Luther's cell to say, Brother Martin, up in heaven, we are so proud of you. But he felt nothing. He felt nothing. The next day, he stands before the emperor, the cardinal, Dr. Luther, are these your tracks? Yes. Dr. Luther, in the name of the church, deny what you've written. Will you deny them? Now. He replied, I do. If you can show me that they are contrary to the word of God, but if not, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. He felt nothing. But the world was never to be the same again. Dear friends, don't go by your feelings. You see, get your satisfaction from believing the word. It's nice when he affirms you. We love it. But there may be times when there's no answer to prayer. There's no healing. You lose your job. You've got nothing. This is your moment to get your satisfaction from saying, Lord, I love you. He likes that. That's what honors him. Heavenly Father, take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.